0: Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lillis. Thank you for listening. Uh, Excited to share with you my conversation with set designer Laura Jelinek. Laura designed Oklahoma that's currently running on Broadway. She also designed the original production of The Wolves, many other great, uh, beautiful productions. We talked about a lot of them, talk about her career, her journey, what it's like to work in the industry. Uh, I think it's great for all artists to listen to. I really appreciated her generosity and just a great chance to sit down and talk with her. Uh, Before I talk about that, though, I do want to talk about uh, something else. Last week, I I had this privilege of being part of the West Palm Beach New Play Festival. A play I wrote was being presented down there, and they did five new plays, readings of them. And there were four playwrights from out of town, two of us from New York, one from Cleveland, one from Austin. And it was great to be you know, outside of my physical community, and just remember that you know, theater community is not defined by geography. It really is all of us that are in it. And it was just nice to talk to other writers and get a chance to hear how they're pursuing their career. And uh, you know, we all want our plays to be great. We all want our plays to get produced. But just hearing how do they stay connected? How do they build relationships? How do they pitch for television? How do they create those opportunities? And um, so that was nice. It was nice to have that camaraderie for the week of uh, the four of the writers from out of town, all of us sort of trekking together to each reading. And, but the other thing that I really wanted to talk about is that the theater, the uh, Palm Beach Drama Works, it's their second annual New Play Festival. And they have a theater that holds about 220 people and 200 people minimum came to every reading and they came to the playwrights panel where we talked, they came to a luncheon that we were at, and they were just engaged. They were engaged in new work, they were curious, they were interested, they had feedback, most of it, you know, positive and supportive, but a lot of it, you know, wanting to know what was the inspiration, what's your process like, or I was curious about this one moment, but not curious, like, judging, curious, like, wanted to know, you know, what was the purpose of it in the play, and why did you do it, and I just loved that there was such an active, vibrant community for new plays. And, you know, I see that at the college collaboration whenever we go to a college to see the play, that community is gauged. And I think a lot of times it's because the students are contributing their voice and they're shaping it and they're talking to their peers who are in the audience or getting a chance to talk to their professors, talk to their family about things that matter to them. And I think that's why there's always that enthusiasm and excitement. And when I was in Palm Beach, one of the questions that somebody in the audience asked, they run a theater down there and they said, you know, what have you seen that helps enlarge audiences, that help, you know, grow an, an audience? And I really thought about what was so successful at Palm Beach and what was, is, and what's been successful everywhere I've seen is engagement. People come to the theater, you know, to have an experience. You know, we're we we we're aware there's all these other medias. There's social media that's theoretically social, but it's very isolating. There's movies. There's Netflix. There's, you know, all the streaming. Um, and those are isolated ways to experience something. But people want to have an engaged experience. They want to go to the theater. And, you know, th- I think people have said, oh, theater is dying probably since Thespis stepped out to say his line and it's not true people want to have an experience and these 200 people that went to every reading proved that to me and they didn't prove it in the theater they proved it on the street and in the lobby when they would stop to talk about us and I I thought yeah when that person asked how do we build that community I thought oh create opportunities for them to be engaged beyond the theater and, and that means for me too, I mean, that means I have to remain open because I want to create an experience where they're moved, where they're, they feel seen, but if they're going to be seen, then I also want to have the opportunity to hear from them. Um, you know, what would, you, what was their experience? I'm not going to ask like, Hey, what'd you like about my play? But like when they stop to talk to me, to engage about the feelings they're having, not the, not the expertise of like, Oh, we wrote or directed or acted it, we understand this moment, but they're talking about life. And I thought, oh, I need to remain open to talk about life because that's ultimately what I want. I do theater as a way of connecting. So I think the way we create audience and community is to remain connected after the lights go up, you know, <laughs> after the play, you know, and, and, and during the process of creating it. And and it really did. This This week was so exciting because that audience – it just reminded me that that there's a people are hungry for connection. They're hungry for stimulation and for an experience that's personal. And the reason they stuck around to talk is not because they wanted to be entertained for the two hours of the play. They wanted to be, they wanted to be seen. And um, so part of what I'm going to try to th- remember for 2020 is not only I want to direct more, but try to remain open and 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 talk about the the deeper things that the plays are about and the experiences that I and the audience are having. And to remember when we talk about that community of theater, it's it's to remember that the audience is that community. They may not be the practicing artist, the practitioners, but they certainly are the most important part. And they are, uh, as interested in the human experience as we are, because that's why they came. um, which is great to be reminded. West Palm Beach is doing this uh, very successful uh, new play festival. They're only two years in, and it's just growing, and, and uh, there's a great audience for new work down there. And on the topic of remaining open, um, one of the things Laura talked about in our conversation that you'll hear is remaining open throughout the process, remaining open when you're talking to a collaborator, director, other designers, and try not to know what it has to be. And I think we've heard that before, but it was really, it was lovely to hear her talk about it. Um, it seemed very specific to the process. And I, the conversation is really fun. I'm, I'm excited to share it with you. And uh, with that, play ball. And you got a sustained excellence award in 2013 I know
1: which is kind of silly because I was like seven seventeen or <laughs> no, I was I was old I huh. what oh, year is it now six years ago it was,
0: but it was six years like when, it was a long time when ago. we met I mean we met because you designed the play I wrote
1: but I feel like that was 2007 yeah cuz I was it was between my first and second year of grad school so I can tell you it was definitely 2007 the summer
0: yeah, right? yeah. It was, it was the summer, yeah. and uh, and so it was funny when I was looking it up. It was like 2013. I mean, she was excellent in 2007, <laughs> but it was but sustained from there until 2013.
1: I sustained her for six years. <laughs> um, yeah, it felt. I mean, I I did a lot of like very downtowny incubator, Bushwick star. It was a it was a row of those, a bunch of those in a row, and then I got the sustained thing. But my favorite thing was it was the Obies, and it was. Um, they don't really if you get an OB, it's not like they announce the nominations and then you go you just get a weird email where they say, We'd love you to come. <laughs> and you say, Okay, okay, cool. But so I was in England during the OBs, so I didn't get my sustained, I got it in the mail later, but I was like, I can't go. And they were we really want we'd really like you to come until finally they were like, here's what's happening. So I got to write a speech. But then I guess at the Obies, they said that I was in London working, which made me sound very fancy because I was in London because my wife's cousin was there and had an extra room, so we visited. So you, <laughs> it was it was like a very family vacation. It was
0: deep long term <laughs> yeah, sustained. Exactly, research. sustained
1: it. So they made they kept elevating me where I was like, I don't think you guys know exactly <laughs> where I am with all of this. But and, how did you... Yeah, Michael, how'd you start? how did
0: you start doing all of that sustained, excellent work? Was it post... 2013, was it post-grad school?
1: Yeah, I mean, I did... You know, I... I did some set design in college. I didn't. I did other things too, and then I moved here and worked at BAM for a year in the patron services department, which is the if you give money, if you give five hundred dollars a year or more, or this is what it was a long time ago, <laughs> you have a special phone number to order your tickets, which was the office I worked in. Um, and so, because I thought maybe I would just work at a nonprofit, and I got very bored very quickly. So then I started. Huh. I sort of used my connections from college and I worked as a carpenter for a little bit at the public and other places and then and designed very small things and then decided that I wanted to try it. So then I went to grad school and then from there, it was what I was
0: doing. But you, just, uh, but you applied to grad school and yes. you're like, is not easy to get into.
1: Yeah, it worked. <laughs> First try, which was lucky. I only applied to NYU and I sort of figured I probably won't get in but I'll just try again next year. Because I had moved here... I had only lived here for two years, but I was not interested in moving anymore, basically.
0: Yeah, which is it's funny if you start to build a life, you're like, I don't want to. It was like
1: dramatic enough to move. I don't like moves. I moved to go to college, which was you know hard, and then I was sort of expecting to move back home to Philadelphia, but my best friend and I. I had agreed to go somewhere together, and she really wanted to come to New York. I'm glad I'm glad she convinced me, but I'm not going to move. I'm done. That was it. <laughs> that was I came here when I was 21, and I'm good. Forever. Forever. It's yeah, perfect. It's great. Yeah. And
0: when you started to—I'm interested in about knowing th- that you wanted to go to grad school. Did you know because you wanted to work at a higher level, or did you know there were things you needed to learn?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was all of that, that I— I mean, I it was only a season, but i I worked well I worked at BAM for a season, and the cool thing about the patron services department is that I had access to very good seats to see basically everything because they hold you hold extra tickets in case someone important shows up so if they don't i so I saw the whole next wave festival that year, and I feel like that exploded my brain a little bit and then when I was working at the public, which I did for basically a season, all these I think Ricardo did a show, but now, and you know, I'm looking back at all the designers who came through, who I certainly had no interaction with, but I saw the what drawings and you know the models sometimes, and then sort of how it became a thing, and was excited and wanted to know more. And I was doing, I did a couple like really tiny things with friends from college. They weren't even at theaters; they were at you know rooms and like buildings. A bar yeah, and a, yeah, exactly, um, and realized. That I liked it enough to try to do it. Basically,
0: I think, and it's funny. One of the things I tell people is when they, when they're starting out and they're a director and they're creating a project, and they're doing it in these locations that are somebody's apartment or right. something like that, to involve designers because designers want to work. Yeah. You know, just like you're doing it in an apartment. Yes, your friend will do it too.
1: Yeah. No, and I, I had a pickup truck and I did all the. I mean, I actually because I still had connections in Providence to. To Trinity Rep and to Brown, and I i think I was remembering our show. Yes. I built at the Brown University Scene Shop, which maybe wasn't allowed, but I did it, and I put it in the truck, and I drove it back, and we loaded it in.
0: Well, I was trying to remember that, because I was like, were you doing a show up there? But I remember you were bringing it down from... Providence, yeah. and I thought, well, you know, in my mind, just like, you know, England, you were working, get sure. another project.
1: No, I just had the, my set design teacher in college, he was, we sort of made a connection, and he helped me. He connected me to the public, because it timed out, someday someone will write a history book, and this will, our narratives will align, but Oscar Eustace moved from Trinity Rep to the public right around when I graduated from Brown, and moved to New York, so my Trinity connections, which were not to Oscar, um, translated. So then Ruth Sternberg, who's the director of the pr- of production at the Public, yeah. I sort of knew her in Providence just through my teacher Michael McGarty. So then he called them saying, "Give her, give her work." And I, she, I mean, my first. working at the public, I was striking a show in the park, which is one of the worst things you could ever do to a person. Yeah, Um, uh, But it was great. And then they sort of taught me how to be a carpenter while I was working there as a carpenter.
0: And that's one of my questions, is like, who and what helped you? But that phone call, then it puts you in there was this this was after customer? This was after
1: patron services. Patron this is services. when I had it for a year, and I said Dumb. I called Michael, and I was said I'm losing my mind. I need to do something else. Basically,
0: <laughs> and he said, why, "Why late at night in the middle of Central Park,
1: yeah. tear apart a set?" Oh no, no, it was in full sun. Okay. it was daytime. G- hot, it was great. full hot sun.
0: I picture the post production when like you can see the raccoon eyes right. and things like that. I yeah.
1: saw the raccoon poop, but I didn't <laughs> see any actual raccoons. <laughs> And then you get in there and
0: you're working for a year, and put, so that context, great. That's clear. Uh, and in it, when you thought to apply to NYU after looking for,
1: it's done right a year about I was, the public. Yeah, yeah, a year. I was I had two years between college and grad school, so basically a year at BAM and a year. At, I mean, the public. It was all a week at a, two weeks at a time. Right, and job I, in job. Yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. And I did a little assisting, a little model building, and things like that. But not I, not a lot. Cool.
0: And you got in there and how and I'm curious what it's like because it's funny when you talk about the next next wave, right that's bam, next wave is uh, and, and the mind exploding, I think the one thing that's great about also NYU, I feel like their design program great at getting people to think out of the box and be literally a match. Imag- you know your imagination explodes when I go to look at the designers.
1: Just yeah, they like, really yeah. focus on pulling. I mean, I there were two of us in my class. There were six set designers that really knew any much of anything about theater. I mean, honestly, it was like people—a guy from Greece who made amazing work that was physical and you walked through. But like, he designed like raves and things like that. And but you know, they pull in a lot of or there's there's usually a few former architects who want to do something more fun but they don't know what a proscenium is necessarily when they start grad school. So they you really get the full, you're mind blown a little bit. And then I think that um, Christine Jones, Andrew Lieberman, and Paul Steinberg were my teachers at NYU and they all did some okay. mind blowing too. And
0: uh, and then I had a question I asked a, was a really great set designer, Allie Wheeler, she's at Center College and a student, okay. but she's, she, I I emailed her and said, all right, what would you like to know? And she said, what was it like for you to start? Like, what gave you the start? But she also was curious, and I'm curious, because I, about, she said, as a woman, like, what was, did it, did you feel an awareness of that starting out, leaving grad school, going into working? Was there any issue around that?
1: I, f- I certainly feel it. I think it's, I didn't feel it much like then as much, because I think, it's. It doesn't feel as risky to give someone a show. at it, it was called The Incubator. I forget. It was called The Ontological. That was called The Incubator. Now it's nothing, right? But right. that's where I was working when I got out. Um, whereas I think... And I think that the stats hold up, at least with the regional theater, people have done a lot of work on, on just making pie charts of all of that, that the Lord D theaters... It's like pretty 50-50 with women and male set designers. And then when you get to the Lord A theaters, it's all men. So there's a thing that happens with it's a ceiling thing where basically like I think it's the bigger the project and the more money that is invested, the more likely they will hire a man for the job. I think that's just true. If you look on the Broadway set designers, it's definitely true. Um, And so I'm I think I'm actually in some ways the. Further along, I get the more I feel it because it's the level that I'm at now where they'd rather have a guy because it's a Broadway producer, it's a lot of money, things like that. That even if I feel like I, um, who knows, but right now I've, and I feel like watching like Rachel Houck and Mimi Leanne, who are a bit ahead of me timeline wise, like Rachel Houck should have won the Tony 10 years ago for a bunch of Broadway shows, but she had to do like an extra eight years of regional work before people would start to give her those opportunities, in my view, I don't know how she'll put it, but um, but like every Broadway show I've had has been, well, the one was roundabout, so it's fake Broadway, and then the other two were transfers, and I might have things coming that would also be transfers, so it's like, for me right now, to get a Broadway show that isn't a, tri- you know, it's that's, like it's easy for the public. It's easier for the public to hire me and then the show to move. That I can see the gl- I can see the ceiling now, and I see it with Rachel and Mimi and a lot of other female set designers. And then I think the other half of it is that's more producers and theaters and directors. Um, the dealing, I I think there I don't. It's hard to know with dealing with the shops. Most shops are great, and I don't think there's that much gender Just, discrimination it, there. Um, it's
0: funny, okay. I, you know, okay. working on the, thinking about the lower budget, the indie theater, mm-hmm. and the uh, and the level of where you're building a set in the college right. scene mm-hmm. shop to load it into a theater, yeah, I don't think that is there as much. So it's interesting when, it was nice to get the email, because she was curious how you got your start, and then she asked, that was the secondary part, and I thought, oh, I'm, I was glad, because I wouldn't have thought of it, but I think, yeah, when you get to the bigger the commercial and the money and I, th- I don't know if that's because they know more men because more men
1: have done it. It's the whole thing where the you know they've done like studies in business where you hire a man on potential and you hire a woman based on experience so right. you can't get the experience I mean I this is how you get the experience is you do off-roadway shows that you do enough of them eventually one's going to move and if you do okay people start to trust you but if you were a guy and with the same experience, you'd probably just, be, you'd get, trusted yeah, you'd just be, get trusted earlier. Get trusted earlier, and then and then yeah, the commercial thing, which I'm new to, and I'm not. I don't need to only do that. Is there's there's a lot of producers, and that's a whole other level. There's a whole other kind of person involved that is not doing anything else. Any but of the other shows.
0: Yeah, going back on the Broadway, you know, like Oklahoma. That's a long-term, not only did it move, but that's a long-term relationship that you had, right, with yeah, Daniel? Yeah, and
1: that I did, I mean, when I, the first Oklahoma that I did at Bard five years ago, I was, you know, they did it, um, there was a student production that Daniel did at Bard with undergrads in 2007 or something like that, which was like the kernel of the production, Um And it was, you know, there were like 30 kids in it and 50 audience members or something. And uh, John Conklin did the set. So then when they decided to do it professionally, which is when I was brought on, John didn't want to do it. And I was actually hired. My first billing was set designed by Laura Jelenic based on an original concept by John Conklin. Because nobody knew how much it would look like the original. It turned out not really to. So then... As we continued to transfer, it was it was fine. Everyone's happy with how it turned out. But that wasn't even that was again sort of a weird project where probably if Daniel had asked Andrew Lieberman, who was much further along in his career, he probably wouldn't have wanted to do it because it was a it was sort of like a mushy right. Who started this program? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was you know that was a Bart. I mean, it was Summerscape. It's a real job, but it. Uh, it took a long time to get to where it got.
0: It, yeah, well, I was reading about that, actually, before you, know, you and I were talking, just the length of how long Daniel had been working on the yeah. idea of that yeah. project, and but you did you work? But
1: you had worked with him before. We had worked together a few times before and since on a lot of things. So yeah, I mean, I think also the other thing I'd say about the being a woman part, although to give Daniel some credit, but generally. I've found when my career has taken a leap, um, pretty much across the board, it's been a female director who brought me. And I, I work, I feel like, probably pretty equally, but it's like my first show at Playwrights Horizons, which was a big deal, my first show at The Public, my first Broadway, my first big opera, they were all female directors, and I do think that there's a, you know, it's not that, the male directors are saying I won't hire this person but they might have it less in their brain that it's actually sort of on them to put up a fight to hire some unknown person whereas I'm sure they have a list that has some people they also love who happen to be guys who the theaters trust already and it's just easier to go that route Um, and I do think it's for me it's like I think Broadway is the last (laughs) sort of terrain with figuring that out but because the the reason it's hard there aren't that many female set designers on Broadway is because there aren't any women directors on Broadway. And there's like a direct correlation, I would say, if you No, it's true. Look exactly. at it. It's, it,
0: it, it's it's interesting because I as a director when I get a job, I have the four people I'm going to call right right immediately, are you available? Yeah. Because I don't then I'll start to think about it if sure. they're not available, but I'm I'm hoping there's a team, yeah. you know, and uh and so, so, whoever the director's moving forward is, that's the design team mostly comes with them at a, at a certain level. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, and it's it's funny. As soon as that one person in your team is not available, so you get very uncomfortable. Right. You it's know. scary
1: to work with. I mean, I guess <laughs> working with new directors is scary. I see why they don't, why I would use the same people every time if I could. When I, A new assistant is scary. I mean, because the whole thing is you can't really none of us, maybe actors, but the rest of us can't do our job alone. Like, no. At all. You know, you really, like, if my assistant isn't working, uh, the, the design stuff, you know, my work doesn't work either. It's it's like it's all connected. So it's, um, I get it. Uh, and I think it's about, I actually think it's about just hiring more female directors. And then they can bring their teams, which tend to yeah. be more, yeah, I, I think more equally balanced. But, you know, I had a moment recently with someone where, and I was like, I've never thought of this before because I'm often the costume designer as a woman. So like, usually the design team that I'm on is half and half because I'm there too. Right. And I'm a lighting designer and so. It, now it's actually I even feel like I've seen a difference in like the last five years. But but I had this moment of realizing that sometimes the whole design team is male. And I was like, "How does that even happen?" Because I've never been on a male design team, obviously. You're um, like can't be. I can't be. But um, but you're, it's sort of crazy how that just happens, and yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because, yeah, never an issue. I think about because I'm my team is diverse that way. But I think about when I when the question came, it resonated with me and my because I would just simply ask, "How do you?" how do you get at this level it's different when you were starting out or coming right out of NYU how do you get work
1: um, I'd say it's not that different To actually I mean how I get work is through directors I've gotten a few I think that I'm on some like there are some theaters that have sort of their approved list and it's easy to get yourself kicked off of it um, As it's like I always say this to designers um, that a, the, a production department can't hire you, right? Like, if the, the director doesn't ask for you, it's not going to happen. But they can get you not hired, right? A TD or a production manager if you cause trouble. So um, so that's... But they don't get you jobs. And I have an agent, but he doesn't... He, he doesn't really get me jobs. He maybe connects me with people. But really, it's like going out to coffee with directors. I call them the non-interview, the famous non-interview, which I still do, where you say, like, let's get together. What I don't have to do now is I don't bring my portfolio, because usually people have seen it's,
0: it. You can see it live.
1: Yeah, I have seen enough that it's just about meeting and seeing if we get on, but it used to just be that plus pictures. It's not like it was that different, and then you have a non-interview, and then maybe six months later, they have a show, and they call you. I mean, it was. it's really a lot of just when you're trying to get started. I mean, I definitely met people through NYU, through the design show, and how they sort of set you up at the end of the whole program, and I assisted Andrew Lieberman for a couple of years which is how I met Daniel Fish was through Andrew so that sort of thing happened um but then i don't know i feel like my other like early directors it was just putting myself out there and meeting people for coffee and being patient it was you know sort of a combination of all of that
0: and when you're when you said you're assisting and you met Daniel and you're taking that as the example is that cuz Just through the collaboration with Andrew.
1: Yeah, they were doing a show. And so I was around in the design meetings. And then the first thing I did with Daniel was at the University of Rochester. And it was, for me, a really big deal. They were going to, like, fly me there in an airplane and, you know, (laughs) pay me more than $500. Um, But it wasn't the kind of thing that he was going to get Andrew or some, like, I probably wouldn't want to work there right now in my Right. I pro- might not take that show now. So he needed a young, fresh person, and he probably asked Andrew for some names, and then we had a coffee. That wasn't technically an interview, but sort of was, and then he asked me to do it. <laughs> it's
0: funny that, yeah, the non-interview interview mm-hmm. is... Con- because it is. It, there's a point where it's like you want to say people know you're good. Yeah. Like they know you can do the job, and I, was, and I literally just had a conversation last night with a... I'm going to direct a play at a university, actually, and um, and I'm going to teach workshop when I'm there. And one of the things they, one of the people asked is, can you talk about in your work in your class? Can you talk about attitude? <laughs> and I thought, right, that's ninety percent of the like. There's so many talented people. It's like, do I get along with you? Yeah, and it's Are you huge. good to work with?
1: It's huge. I mean, it's such a funny job, and I figure if we're if it's not i mean it's hard and it's stressful and it's all those things but at a certain point if it's not if you're not enjoying it then you should go do something that pays you money and is consistent and all of those things so um so it's a, and i've done shows like one show in particular with someone i think is a good director and a great person and like we were not a match you know and and it was just it was hard every step of the way i couldn't figure her out and I think she was frustrated because of that, and it was sort of like, oh, we probably shouldn't do any more shows, but, like, we should have dinner. That'd be great. That's fine. But, you know, there's a lot – there's just a lot of – there's just a lot of ways it can go.
0: Right. And we can like each other's shows.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just, just don't have to do them together. together, yeah.
0: And when you – I don't – I have a question, which is just – Funny, I was thinking about like how do you start the com- I'm I'm interested in how you start the conversation with a director on a project, not on the coffee yeah. date non date. But it's funny. I I I've had a couple of first you designed my first play that got produced, so I mean I remember feeling immediately great because I saw this model and I was like, oh, that feels like my play, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it was such a warm because it was also the first time I wasn't, I was usually director. right? So I was like, oh, what's happening? But I had a couple of experiences where I've walked into theaters not knowing who's done the set uh, and felt this great energy. And I was like, oh, I wonder who's doing this just from the space. And I remember walking into the Duke once and I was like, oh, that makes sense. It's Laura. <laughs> and uh, and then the same thing with, I felt the same thing. I walked into the Wolves and I was like, oh, I like this over the all-encompassing of the space. And I'm I'm curious how you start the conversation or how the conversation starts with a director-designer collab.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I usually like to start with trying not to think about the set too much. So a meeting or two where we just talk about the play and they tell me what they think about the play. I mean, I feel very... It's interesting because I I, don't—I definitely know designers who, like, probably someday will end up directing, and I won't. I just—I really like being second. Like, I really like the director saying, here's what I think about the show, and then it being my job to, like, feel the script and feel everything the director's telling me and make it into a set Um, because it feels like a— it's like a project or a puzzle or something like that. Um, so we talk about the play. They tell me what they think about the play, and that can be. Uh, it depends on the play. I mean, for but like for the wolves, we had conversations about. Is this how realistic are we trying to go? Like, what do we what do we need to do the play? So it's a little bit about scenery. Um, and then I do a lot of research, which. If it's, you know, it takes place in a commercial kitchen, I do a lot of real research of what that looks like. But then I also do, I just have, I have a lot of photography books and just try to find images that feel like the play, even if they never look anything like the set. And I sort of put them up everywhere. And then, and we meet about that. And I, the director can, you know, if they point to their favorite things or things they hate, that doesn't feel anything like it, or that does, that helps me cull. And then, I work, in, I work in the model. I don't draw, really, um, other than Pokemons for my four-year-old, which I now do, like, <laughs> for an hour every day. You
0: <laughs> can nail it, too.
1: I, like, copy it from the book, and then you color it. <laughs> we have, like, a self-made coloring book project. But um, other than that, I don't draw much, and I work in the model, and I never really know what I think it's gonna be until I start cutting things up and putting it in I would say I mean, you know if i there's gonna be walls, then we build some walls um and if it is if there's some naturalistic aspect to it like we know we need certain furniture, I'll start with that, so I have it um but i it's a lot and then I you know a lot of meetings it depends on the show, but um I feel like very. I think there are some designers, and I think this is actually, if I think about the directors that I haven't been that successful with, um, I'm actually not great at set design alone, and I don't really like it. So I don't really, I don't think I often should, like that. the first meeting, my hope is that we rip up most of what I've brought. Rip up? Most of the model. Yeah. Not, not, my hope is not that they're like, great, let's do it. Um, because I'm like, but it could be better, but I don't know how. I, You know, it's a... What is it? It's a joint thing to to keep making it better.
0: I, I think it's... That's good to hear, because that's how I... F- hey, that's how I want to work. But B, it's... Uh, I think there's this feeling, in that, especially in early work, if somebody's brought you a model, it looks finished. Right. And you forget, like, no, this is actually now, that's so we, tool, can, yeah. we can pull the... I love when I get visual on the podcast. It's it really good. is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we can really take it apart and we can start moving things or, like you say, rip it, rip it up. but not doesn't physically have to get ripped up, but it can. It can be like, what if this is here? Or what if it's that? Or Yeah,
1: you know. and I actually have very strong feelings about... I mean, another thing I'd say is I hopefully never show up to a first meeting with, like, one idea. That it's a lot of things. It could be this or this could be changed slightly. And I, just on a craft level, and this is total NYU brainwashing. But I work in half-inch scale, which is very big. A lot of people work in quarter-inch scale. So my figures are three inches tall instead of an inch and a half. And what that means, and it's expensive and it's big and it's annoying, but it means the model is actually something even a clumsy director can (laughs) stick their hands in. and 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 it's really important, especially early on, that the way I build things, that walls stand up alone. Like, they don't have to be glued together to stand up so that if you want to move a wall, the whole thing doesn't fall down. And that's actually a really important... That's part part of what I learned in grad school, but also just working with actual humans, (laughs) with actual clumsy humans, of of how to make it... Because, like, with the real thing, when you do it 24 times bigger, the whole point of tech, right, is, like, you don't really know anything until you look at it. You don't really know anything until you try it. And so, even in miniature, you want to be able to... Move the wall and not have to wait a week later till the next meeting for that to be true. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's good. it's good to think about how you're building the model because it's true. I I want to play, you know, and not totally when you, yeah. when you get in the room. And also, I also like that you say you don't. Yeah, you don't know how it's going to work, and you're looking at things. And and I th- because I feel. You know, I looked at Oklahoma and I thought, oh, that it's all encompassing of that space. I don't know where that dialogue came from, where, we were, where the conversation went to. Like, we're going to, the floor in the audience is like wood. Right. You know, I was joking with Julie, I did a reading on your set. And oh, I yeah? spent a day there and I went, there's nowhere to plug in your phone. There's every outlets covered with wood. <laughs> like, everything's covered. Everything's covered, and I thought. But then I looked around, and I just thought it was great because there was there was no space to get out of the space. There yeah. was no nowhere where you gonna look. You were you were gonna experience that play. You were not gonna. Your mind wasn't gonna even wander outside of it. And I thought that was it was great. Yeah. And I'm. You know, it was interesting just hearing just the idea of like making the model, putting surrounding yourself with it, and not being limited by it has to be this or one idea. Yeah. I liked thinking about how does that evolve. And I also like the collaboration cuz I I think it's only fun if for you know now I'm like doing a little director designer thing but sure. on the director side it's only fun if it's collaborative, yeah. you know, and it, I think you know the stupid thing that I used to say is like, you know, don't don't give me what I asked for like you know right. <laughs> Like, it's more about what I, What do you think I want? Yeah. and uh, but it comes from that play, and you can feel that in that in that space. And I thought in the wolves, I I thought the same thing. Like it did feel like is it realistic? It's obviously not realistic because it's grass is going up a wall, right? So it's not real, but it's uh, but it felt perfect.
1: Yeah, I mean, with the wolves, and that was fun. That was just such a good show that I could have done anything. It would have been good, but the play was so good. It's like one of my favorite things I've worked on. But but that was actually a good – it's like a good set design task because what often happens – and also the show I just did, Heroes of the Fourth Turning, which was also very good at playwrights – which took place at night outside in Wyoming under a huge sky, but actually took place in a theater with no-fly space or wing space. Um, And the Wolves (laughs) takes place on an, it's indoors, but it's an indoor soccer stadium, which is much bigger than any of the theaters we did it in. So you're actually, you can't be realistic. Like you can't, if you do a part of the soccer field, it's not the thing, right? It's already not the thing. So you're actually being released in a way. And so when we looked at, a million pictures of indoor soccer stadiums. Uh, One of the things about them is it's often like six or nine fields in one giant, one of those tent structures. Um, And we were like, the thing about it is the expanse. So how do you somehow do expanse in a tight space? And so we called it the swoop. But sort of the floor swooped up into the wall. And then with Heroes, it was like how do you do the sky when you can't do the sky? And it became about basically making shadows out of scenery so that you could get darkness in a way that somehow evoked Wyoming at night, but was never gonna be it. Right,
0: yeah, and it it is interesting when you do that expanse and you're thinking, yeah, you're in a theater with no fly space or wing space, that particular one is a challenge. Yeah, definitely. Um, What do you think you carry into the room today that you didn't, you know, when you were starting?
1: Yeah, I was thinking, I mean, I think there's like the whole imposter syndrome thing is, quieter now than it was 10 years ago. Um, And I I think also knowing just, I mean, there's a lot just, one thing I like about our profession is I feel like it's not exactly like an apprenticeship, but it is still, there are a lot of, you know, not like all computer related thing, but there are a lot of industries where the younger you are, the, the better you are, right? The more you know. Right. And I feel like we actually still work somewhere where experience is valued because because it's such a weird job and there's so many weird things to learn, like just craft-wise in terms of like what carpet looks like when you put it hard, like on a wall and light hits it from this direction that you just don't know until you've tried it in a show and it's failed or not. Um, that the more shows you've done, the more of these weird little things you've learned and they compile and you sort of feel like you know what you're doing more than you did once upon a time um and it doesn't mean like you can't value I mean I'm still a young designer I think sort of technically I don't know I don't, know what, the age, what's the cutoff? I don't know what the cutoff is for young but no but honestly like I'm under 40 which I feel like Real designers are over 40, right? Like the, like the established... But in most jobs, you don't... In most jobs, by the time you're 30, you can be like a fully... In, unless you're a surgeon, you can be a you know, fully established whatever. And it's like it actually just takes a while to learn all the things. And so the more you do I, you're I love that it, the
0: yeah. bar is, those people over there, they're the real designers. Yeah, they're
1: doing this... With, so I, the imposter syndrome, I think, is still a little bit there. But, um, and the other thing I'd say that is useful, although I think it's something we all struggle with, is like... Now I've done a lot of plays. So, and, you know, early on, every play is like, this is the thing. There, we can't fail at all. Everything it has to be good. It has to be amazing. All the things have to be perfect. And now at a certain point, you hope for that, but you're like, oh, no, maybe this is the one where we don't need a set. And like, it's fine. There's so many more plays. Or or if things fall through, or, if, you know, it's a, I, I think talk, I have a little more to me perspective about that. on that.
0: What do you mean, like, maybe we don't need a set?
1: Well, I feel like there's always a set because there's always a theater, and you, there's should always a, something. you should have a designer to help you make it good. But I feel less—I I don't think I ever felt that precious. But I certainly now feel even less precious about like my job, about any sort of ego with I'm making this amazing object. Like I love cutting things. If we, you know, if we, if I spend months in the model, and it all gets cut before we build it, like that is totally a good process for me. And. It means that you can't show off your pictures, and you won't get press, and you sort of early on. It like if you do one show a year, it matters. You can feel a lot of pressure with that, and now it it feels like there's a bit of release from all of that, which is nice.
0: It is nice, and and it's yeah. It's interesting to think you don't need to put your stamp on it because you're just serving the play. Yeah, totally. Yeah. it's funny. I think I've, I have, as a director, I felt that for a while, but now and now, now more and more, I am having that sense that I would like. I just want to do whatever's, is necessary yeah. and required. That is To it. make the thing. To exactly. make the thing. Yeah. And all the flash. I'm like, eh. The
1: there'll ticks. be a, there'll be another. And now even I joke, but like sometimes it does come around where you come up with some great idea in the model, and then realize it's not right. And you, we'll use it in We'll use it in something else. Something. And like four years later, somehow, sometimes those ideas do come back around, which is pretty cool. And I like
0: also that you. It is a. It's an apprentice thing, but it's also it's an apprentice craft in the sense that we assist people, yeah. And we learn from that, and you learn not only not only do you learn craft, which I think is important, but you also learn collaboration by watching other people do it. Yeah. Um, but the other thing you said that I think is really it, it is interesting. It's practical because I think. Theater, especially in design, you're you're doing things like putting carpet on a wall that you've never done before, and that not only are you taking risks to do ideas differently, but every time you do it, you're learning something that later you can just sort of reference. Exactly. That,
1: like, that I think part of what I've found, and I, I it's hard. It's like intertwined because I have two kids, which I start my first kid I had when I was when I turned right when I turned 30. So like my career path sort of has been, it was like right around when I earned my sustained my sustained OB, it was, he was a baby. So it was like the career sort of taking off in tandem with having a family, and I feel like both things have made me so much more efficient. It's hard to know which is what, it's hard to know which came from where, that like, one thing about having kids is that you don't, you just, you're just so much more efficient with everything because there's no other option. But then also I think I am in some ways, like I can get through each step a little bit faster in my work and it's not because I'm skipping anything. It's just, I have so much to reference in terms of what works and how this works. And even like the best way to put it in the model and the best way to draft it and things like that, that it is it's, there are shortcuts, um, which is cool. And it's just about accumulating, just doing it a million times and doing it wrong a few times and then figuring it out. And,
0: yeah. I was gonna, it's funny, a question I haven't asked in a while that I'm curious about when you say, even if you get it wrong, and I know you're talking model and stuff, anything you've done where you can think of a, fa- where you've had a failure? I know you've had sustained excellence. I've had sustained
1: excellence. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I've had, I had one show that wasn't great. I don't know if I want to reference it, but it was... You don't have um, to reference the show. But I would say the reason that... And it's a totally a learning experience. The reason... It was it was twofold. One was like a, I wasn't a match for the director. But also it was um, one of these things... And I would say this is how I got 90% of my like breaks, is that someone more important backed out late. And I got called with no time... Because all the people who they wanted <laughs> couldn't do it, right. So like that's how you get that's how you get on those lists. Um, and and we basically just didn't finish. Like, I feel like the design process was so fast that by the time we were sending it out to build, we could have used two more months on it, and then it maybe would have been good. Um, and it so it just, and that's there's one in particular I'm thinking of, but I do feel like um, it things feeling unfinished. Because even my best designs, if you saw them halfway through the process, you'd be like, huh, right? <laughs> but, you know, you've got to go through those steps to get to the end. So I think also, like, knowing, and like I'm still always trying to figure this out, because your career keeps changing and the kinds of jobs keep changing and your children grow older and they keep changing, that, like, how many shows can you do and how many shows can you design at once and how much can you have in the studio, but trying to really make sure that you allow enough time to finish knowing that you might have to start over and there might be backtracking in the design process, because then you'll be fine. But um, that is like the easiest way to fail, especially as a young designer when you feel like you have to say yes to everything. And there's a tricky thing with availability. I was just talking to someone who graduated a few years ago from NYU. He was saying, should I take this show? Like, they ask if you're available for tech. Sometimes in the offer, they don't even tell you when the design deadlines are, you have to ask them. And because there's sort of this, they don't understand that just because you're free for two weeks for tech, you also need to be free for six weeks to design it, right? Right. And if you're in tech for those six weeks on other shows, it's impossible. So it's a, that's a big thing, I think, that you figure out when you're young, how many shows, I mean, I don't do as many shows now as I used to, but I do bigger shows now, but it's it's sort of complicated.
0: Well, it's also, I'm thinking like, yeah, when you're starting out and you were doing the show and you building it somewhere and putting it in your truck, Correct. you didn't have months lead time on that. And now when you think about it, because I think it's good for people to know, like how much lead time do you get for a design? Do you, If you're doing the Playwrights Horizon show.
1: Playwrights Horizons, they give you... It's, you know, it's weird because it depends on like where it is in the season, because I feel like there's always nobody's dealt with next year yet, and so there's no jobs, but then everyone gets their offers for the first, second, or third shows of that season. So, like, then you're booked really far in advance. Um, But I feel like normally, I don't know, six months-ish, but I definitely, like, the show at the public, the Seawall, those two monologues that transferred, that wasn't... I don't even think someone dropped out. I don't think. I can ask the director. I think they just, like, maybe because it was famous people getting the schedules to align once they actually locked it in like they hired me and technically the first design deadline might have already passed or maybe it was another show I did um which they understood meant (laughs) I didn't have to have already given them something but that was the sort of thing where like they approached it like this is last minute we need it in four weeks and I happened to be like really slow then so I i did yeah, it and time. i hired somebody and it was great but it was it was crazy i mean it was like you know every night after putting kids to bed going i work my studios in my building which happened after children and is necessary so that i can like go back and work at night and things like that um but but then opera they'll call you i don't do as much anymore but i just got called about a, a ballet that's in the spring of 2021 that's and great. that is about, like, they think that far ahead, which is hard for me. But
0: Yeah. And also, it's funny. I think about it going, it's hard to think about it because... I'm like, I, if I'm alive, I don't know. It's like, sure. sure. That's where I live. Yeah, right? Yeah. If I'm there, if I'm still here. But, I'm, you know, what's great is if I have something to do in the spring of 2021, I'll make it. Yeah. Just I, for that. Like, I feel like I can do it. I feel like it's going to work out. Yeah. Just, I've got just, something to look forward to. Yeah. And uh, it, it's interesting about giving yourself time to finish because I think that is, it is not, you, you do, you have this impulse to take every job and you and it's what's interesting, I'm glad you said it because I think everybody's clear for tech and load in and things like that and then, you know, but you're, the director's in the room and has a question or right before you're going into the room, you realize something, and you're like, wait, nobody's available. Right. Now this isn't useful. Yeah. Um,
1: it's real, And it is really hard. I mean, I feel like it's, there's a whole conversation to have about when people get paid and why designers are always in tech, because that's the only way to do it. Um, but I can't design that. I just I just need time. And I also feel like when, when just thinking on that with, like, having time to finish. I also feel like one of the things that's made me faster is that I have more voices in my head of all the directors I've worked with before and I can sort of like play out what their critiques would be. Or, you know, especially if it's someone new or some directors are less visual and like it's on you to make it really good. and to think about what all my teachers would say and what different and honestly like having a good assistant is a is a creative person in the studio to bounce things off of. uh, uh,
0: uh, and you give them yeah cuz they're going to have a point of view they're yeah. a designer also exactly uh, and a question somebody asked me to ask which is yeah. how hey, do you engage the playwright when you're doing something new, or how should the playwright? It's be funny, I know. <laughs> how should they be engaged? And one reason is because I know a playwright who, who keeps a set diary and like loves seeing sets of other plays and is like, oh, I'd like something in that in one of my plays, knowing that maybe they haven't written a play that requires, you know, a sky. Right, you know? Right. <laughs> but. But I do think it's interesting. Like, yeah, how do you want? How how useful is that conversation? And what do you want? What's the collaboration with a playwright on a new work?
1: It d- totally depends on the person, and it's great. I mean, I have playwrights where we show them it at the end, and then also, I mean, it's also like if it's um if it's a premiere, it's really different. So, like, and then it depends on the. Per- I mean, like the Annie Baker play I did. Sh- I think she was at every meeting. But it was it was like she was just part we she was there. The director was there. I was there, and we all made it together. Um, but Annie Baker is like uh, one of the better visual thinkers in existence. So you you want her there, obviously. So that's it was just a benefit. Um I feel like what what I also like about my job is that, it's not really. It's usually not really up to me to sort that out. Like the director decide. The director and the playwright figure out how involved the playwright is going to be, and that information is presented to me, and I accept it. So, it's fine. Yeah. You know. Um, I think sometimes it's nice if I don't know the playwright that, at least the first model meeting will just be the director, but then they'll come to the rest of them. Um, and I. I mean, that's actually one of the things that I love about. Sort of where my career has gone, because early on, I did a lot of like weird devised things. So I was technically with the playwright, but they weren't playwrights; they were theater maker people. Uh, Um, But now to actually work with, um, with like the best new playwrights around is it's great, and I love having them at all the meetings, pretty much. Uh, Excellent. Yeah.
0: And what advice, if you had any advice for a young artist starting out?
1: Oh, I don't know if I planned this. Um,
0: And if you didn't, I can ask a different question that you would know. Yeah,
1: ask me a different question. When you
0: think about, because I was thinking about the collaboration of of the playwright director being in the room, is then how much is your collaboration, I know, like, how do you engage the other designers and who... How do you work? How do you set that? Yeah, I don't know. What I, but my question is, because I know it's collaborative. I sort of want you to talk about it from your point of view of how much you value or what that conversation is like, and when does it start to become lighting and costume and sound right. and everybody coming together and
1: It's interesting because it also, again, a lot depends on the director and how, like, with Daniel Fish, just as an, an example, one of the things about working with him is that we're all. It's like we're all responsible for the whole thing it feels in a a really wonderful way in in the best way right right? so that like of course I should be involved in conversations about sound I mean not not in a technical way but that everyone's matters all the time um and then some directors it's a little more you do this and you do this but that will bring you in once we know more so it, it depends sometimes I will say it can be It can be a little hard if a lighting designer comes on too early because oftentimes the response is to—not all lighting—it depends on the lighting designer. But what you don't want—lighting designers aside, what you don't want too early in the process is is, uh, um, people pointing out practical problems before you've figured out what the thing is. Um, And so I think— but there are plenty of lighting and sound designers I would want from the beginning. So I guess that's just which lighting and sound designers I like better than others. is <laughs> really ultimately what that comes down to. Um, but no, but I mean, it's the best projects like Heroes at Playwrights. Isabella Bird did the lights. And that design, I think she'll win some awards. That's my plan is that I plan on it being an assist when I designed it. But like the set, that set with the work lights on was one of the weirdest ugliest looking things you've ever seen and it was like we didn't design the scenery and then have her put the lights in like the two of us designed the thing and because it was all about light and shadow yeah. and so the scenery made the shadows um and that w- only worked because we did it together
0: and at what point did you realize that that's what it's going to be and did you two start talking or was that i
1: think she was it you know sometimes it's just a. Schedule problem, but I feel like she was at almost all of the meetings with the model. Maybe not. She might have missed a couple because she was away, but she was in the room from right, the beginning from of the, the process, beginning, basically, yeah.
0: Because that is great, yeah, because that's clearly a collaboration. And you uh, said something else that struck me, but I'm going to now take you back to the advice oh, that yeah. you had.
1: Um, oh, I, I thought I was like an instead of question. It's not of, an instead the of. The advice well, I give. I mean, I, th-
0: I can also. <laughs> say you've already said some which is it is about meeting directors and it's yeah. about that and starting the career but I'm just curious if there's anything else that when you think about like oh here's something I didn't know when I was pre-NYU or. I
1: mean to be honest and I feel like I, this is a bummer of a way to end the podcast but like I feel like I mean I feel I had a great time at NYU and it and it started me and I would do it again but I didn't I didn't have any loans from NYU, and I think that it's if to actually do the math of what you might get paid doing this job, and figure out to decide if you want to do this job before you put yourself in a terrible. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is not a bummer to
0: end. This is a great way to talk about because. Because if you didn't go to NYU, yeah. how would you pursue... Perci- because I agree. I think I, I uh, uh, this will have aired after the fact, but the farm does a grad school audition workshop. And we talk... And Scott Ellingworth, who is an mm-hmm. associate at yeah. NYU, uh, talks about the practicality. Yeah. And one of the things we talk about is if you're going to take on debt, like, be clear what you're going in for and what you want. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously, NYU, you you get an education, you learn about design, it puts you in a connection, you're in the middle of New York City, it's it's helpful. But if you didn't do that, how would you pursue this? What would you suggest to somebody who's like, you know what, I can't take on the debt, yeah. but I still want to design?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd say, you, you could go to Yale for free, which doesn't hurt, although I think NYU's better, but not free. <laughs> I mean, I think you can kind of go to NYU for free if you get every weird. But you're working, you work full time while you're there, and it's sort of terrible. But 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 if you don't need a lot of sleep, maybe it's great. Um, I but you know I have a you can just you can just work you can just assist and I mean one thing that I would say watching some of my assistants um, when I assisted I was only ever a studio assistant so I was never in the theater. Because with scenery, that's often how it works, right? Um, and so the I didn't really meet anybody assisting. I met Daniel Fish. But, like, I wasn't in the room. I didn't – all the things I learned about working with TDs and working with shops, I worked – I learned on my own, on my feet, like, which was Real sort time. of a stressful way to, to do that. Um, and But if you can get in assisting on, like, the – Broadway track or, or whatever it is, then you do end up in the shops, and you do end up in the production meetings, and you end up in the theater, and then it's the whole thing about how you make the leap. But people do it; it's not impossible. It's hard, but I think, and I don't know if it's about like eventually saving up enough. I mean, you can make plenty as a Broadway associate. To, you can make up. You can make enough to like save, and then for a year, just design and you you know, do your own work. And, yeah, do your own work and meet directors and and do it yourself. Um, but I would say anybody that, I'm trying to think of who I was in school with who's still doing theater, and like it's not a lot of them, and I'm sure if I had loans I would be working in TV, which is fine if that's what you want to do, it's great. Right. TV's really fun, but I also I would also say I wouldn't have children if I had, had taken debt. out debt. There's no way I could have done right,
0: that. Right, the family, and yeah. the responsibility of that. And how do you find your assistance?
1: Um, well, I used to pluck them from NYU because I used to teach like a drafting model building thing. So I knew enough of them, but then I stopped. And so actually the person I, Kate McCray, who's awesome, who's my main assistant right now, I met through Isabella Bird, the lighting designer who I work with a lot because they just know each other. And Kate it, isn't going to grad school or hasn't gone. I don't expect that she will because she, I don't think she needs to. And she's and she's she, in the world. Working. she's in the world. She's working more than I was, you know, before grad school for sure. Um, and uh, and it's great, but it's a hard. it's hard to find assistance. and it's really intimate. I mean, like, I work from home they I'm in my pajamas, like they see my children and and they see you, you know, when i when I'm Starting a project with like an empty model box. Like, that's like the most vulnerable, you know, that's the worst you'll, edit, that's the worst you may all be. Um, and you need somebody who you can, like, kind of have around during that, which is a, you know, it's a teller. And,
0: and know when you would like them to be, to be not around. Yeah, exactly. not around. And I don't need your thoughts right now because I don't have any. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I do think it's important to say because. It's interesting because I think uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the debt part and the work because yes there is a pipeline for success if you want to work a certain path you know Yale doesn't hurt it NYU' is a good choice and uh, but there's also doing the work and being around people and knowing people and uh, and, and being somebody that somebody recommends yeah because and I do th- I think when we go back to the conversation about apprenticeship in this field Designing, designing, and directing, especially uh, assisting people, is probably the the best. Assisting established people who are working in a place that you want to work is probably the best education and pathway into that career.
1: Yeah, because you see, you see their process, and so like that's such a big part of what you would learn in grad school. I mean, I think you can get everything you. I think grad school is a fast way to get is a good three year plan for learning all the things I learned that maybe would take longer had I been working full time not in grad school but I probably would have learned it all you know hands on eventually
0: Eventually. Eventually. (laughs) you'd have to right (laughs) because otherwise you couldn't do that job great. Uh, Thank you, Laura. So glad she came in to talk and it was a lively, fun conversation. So generous sharing her process and experience. And, you know, I loved uh, how that conversation ended, just the idea of her talking about uh, first thinking it was going to be a bummer about, you know, don't take on debt. But what I liked about it was the intentionality about the work you take and projects and how you spend your time and where you invest. And, It's not just investment of money, it's talent and time and, um, you know, it's something I've really been thinking a lot about because, you know, you have to clear the space, you have to say no to things to do the other things you want to be doing, but also you have to be clear why you're doing it. Uh, Also made me laugh when she said... You know, designers are, are, they ask if you're available for tech. And I thought, I'm, I'm directing a new play. I'm directing a play, uh, Peregrine Falls, by Loading Dock Theater Company. Um, it's going to be at the Wild Project, February 6th. And I'm replacing somebody, a uh, director who was no longer available. And it fit right between getting back from Palm Beach and getting ready to go to Virginia to direct another play. And I, I thought, oh, it fits in my schedule. And... You know, I, uh, two things made me laugh when Gloria said it because, yes, I don't think it, it fit because I could make rehearsal. But I also was finding myself in Palm Beach in the mornings doing pre-production work on this play and, you know, getting up early to prepare for the play. I had to go to rehearsal because I really just had a week to prepare. And then since getting back, I still spend my morning talking to the designers about, you know why decisions were made or how to, how to utilize what's already in place and how can we shift what's there to work with uh, everyone's vision. And it, it, but it it is funny because you, you, you know, directing's time is not just going to rehearsal. It's, it's pre-production and, but I did say yes, because it fell in, but I said yes, because of the five actors cast, I know two of them. I've worked with them before. They're good friends of mine. I I love working with them. I wanted to do that. I wanted to meet this theater company. I like to play a lot. I wanted to work with this writer. Um, and so there's a reason to do it, and I want to be directing more. And, you know, I really appreciated when Laura talked about that. It's like, you know, the an investment of time and resources. Why are you doing it? What are you going to get out of it? What's the value to you? And is it worth it? And I think that's really important to think about. And to, But besides that, I, a lot of the conversation was great, and I was – So happy to have her in, and I think the second designer, Matthew Halleck, Center College chairman of their theater department, uh, was in the first season. But I I think she's the second designer, and it was just nice to hear her uh, share her artistry because uh, I think it's useful for all of us. And it was a great, lively conversation, and you know, continued on to her sustained excellence, which now makes a lot more sense because <laughs> it has been continued to su- be sustained. She is great. Um, you know, and I, I, going back to taking the job and why, I, I, I hope that a lot of you 2020 is still young, and I hope you're, you're still going for what your goals, and I hope you're creating space for the things you want to be doing. And also I'm grateful the conversation we have, not just the conversation with Laura, but through the podcast. And I like hearing from people about, what they heard that was useful. And even Eric talking on the episode about listening to Raul and saying, Oh, he articulated something I'd been thinking about. And, you know, I love that. I hope you share the podcast with other people. I hope you talk about it with other people. And, you know, I love hearing from you of what was useful. So feel free to email us at bullpen at the farm org and, uh, rate us, share us, recommend us on iTunes. That helps. And it's building a base and, Um, yeah with that thank you for listening and we're out